Hello and welcome to this episode of The Sisterhood of the Rings, the Tolkien podcast where we discuss all the lore almost no one cares about. I'm your host, Maddie Bolzenius. And I'm your host, Molly Tenley-Strait. This week we will be discussing J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, Chapter 4, A Shortcut to Mushrooms, and Chapter 5, A Conspiracy Unmasked. Ooh. Yeah, we're doing a little double episode here because these chapters are extremely short and almost nothing happens in the movies. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and do chapter four overview from the book. Sounds good. All right, so again, this chapter is titled A Shortcut to Mushrooms. So we start off with Sam, Pippin, and Frodo waking up and the high elves have left. They just kind of bounced. Frodo explains that he plans to leave Crick Hollow right away, and Sam says he'll be right there with him. The elf said, don't you leave him, which I think is kind of curious because... In the movie, he says it's Gandalf who says, don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah uh-huh. And and Glorfindel or the elves are the ones who say that to it's him not in the book. Glorfindel. We haven't even met Glorfindel. This is Gildor. Gildor. God damn it. Okay. Keep going, Matt. Okay. They're heading to Buckleberry Ferry first. They decide to cut through the fields and marshes. They see another black rider, which is spooky. They drink some of the elf drink, which is like really magical and just makes them kind of euphoric. They hear the call of the black rider in the wind. They're lost, and then they find Farmer Maggot's land. And Frodo tells about how he used to trespass and steal mushrooms when he was young. So he's terrified of Farmer Maggot himself and, of course, of his big dogs. Pippin says he's a good friend to all the brandy bucks, so they decide to go to his house. When they arrive at his gate, he tells about his visit from the Black Rider. The Black Rider was still looking for a Baggins, and Farmer Maggot sends him away because he's a badass and he doesn't care about no Black Riders. He is a badass. He's amazing. Maggot advises Frodo to not get mixed up with bad folk, which I think is hilarious. He's like assuming that Frodo is the one who's like conspiring with these (laughs) creepy dudes. He's like, don't get mixed up with those people. He offers to feed them dinner, and then he escorts them to the fairy in his wagon and so nice i know he's so nice like in the movie it's just like him with his pitchfork and you don't even see him and in the book he's like here i am i'm gonna help you i'm gonna feed you dinner with all my massive family i know it's so sweet yeah um so they almost make it to the fairy when they hear a horse approaching so they're freaking out because they see a hooded figure and then they realize quickly that it is actually just mary on a horse in a cloak And he had come to find them, right? Yeah. Mary came to go find them, and Farmer Maggot leaves for home. But before he does, he gives Frodo a basket of mushrooms. Perfect. So that was the chapter four overview for the book. And I am going to do the chapter five overview from the book, which the chapter is called A Conspiracy Unmasked. So the chapter begins, and they are crossing the Brandywine River on the ferry. And it is Mary, Pippin, Sam, and Frodo. And they are going over to where the Brandy Bucks live, which is Brandy Hall, which was founded by Gore and Dad Old Buck. What a name. The thing that I think was interesting is they talk about how most hobbits are afraid of the water, except for the Bucklanders, which makes them a little bit different. We see a black rider who's on the other shore, and he kind of creeps off really sneakily back yeah, into the shadows. It's really spooky. It is. But anyways, they get back, and Fatty Bulger has made them a nice meal, and they get to see Frodo's new house that he's not actually going to live in, but it's very lovely, and all his belongings are there. It's basically like an Airbnb. Yeah. But wouldn't it be creepy if you show up at an Airbnb and, and it's all, all your, your stuff? stuff? <laughs> 
they just they just that's, really prepared that's a for you. whole nother service <laughs> once they arrive they have hot baths poured for them and they all go and sing a little bathtub song it's pretty cute it's really cute yeah i like it and then they have a wonderful meal and then the five hobbits sit down to have a little talk by the fire so mary pippin frodo sam and fatty it turns out they knew all along that frodo was planning to leave the shire oh those clever hobbits they did and then it turns out mary also knew about bilbo's ring because he saw bilbo disappearing <laughs> and they're just that. like hey dude the jig is up we're coming with you here's what's happening and frodo's like what it's a secret how did you know and sam's like "Ooh, i'm sorry i told everybody basically mary's like well you can trust us and so they said good let's settle three cheers for captain frodo and company and they all shout and they're like yay we're all going together except for fatty who's gonna stay home and he's gonna watch over the house and pretend to be frodo and dress up in his clothes which is nice so then they decide that they're going to leave at the first light the next morning. They decide that they're going to go through the old spooky forest. Hell yeah. Even though Fatty's like, don't do it, dude. It's like the evil hundred acre woods. And then they fall asleep and Frodo has a really creepy dream. Yeah, he does. Yep. It's a really freaky dream. If he I is. woke up from that dream, I'd be like, mm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Um, do you want to do the movie overview? Because it's extremely short. It is literally the most brief thing you can possibly imagine. So I'm just going to dive right into it. Get get ready. Hunker okay. down. Okay. So basically, we pick up while the group is trying to get away from the Black Rider. They continue being hunted and eventually they make it to the ferry. A bunch of Black Riders have started chasing them. They're narrowly escaping they jump onto a small ferry and they make it across the river in safety because the next river crossing is 20 miles away and that is literally what happens in the movie in this section so yeah so thanks for being patient through that (laughs) i know it was a lot of information i'm just glad you were able to listen through the whole thing so this is why we decided to just condense these two chapters we're going to mostly talk about the book during this episode because the movie just really doesn't have much going on yeah, but it's really, really kind of nice chapters from the book. It really leads to the relationships between Sam and Pippin and Frodo and Mary, and like building that. And it makes us all connection. wish that, that we had we had friends who were as willing to go on harrowing adventures with Maddie, us. Maddie, would you be my Sam? Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Actually, we're definitely more like Mary and Pippin. We're for sure Mary and Pippin, one hundred percent. Jesse's our Frodo. Jesse's Frodo. <laughs> No, he's definitely a Sam. He's definitely a Sam. (laughs) All right. So we are going to move on to our discussions. Uh, Maddie, would you like to go first this week? Yeah, I may as well. So I'm covering the Shire this week. Now, I don't really have like a quote that references here, but they talk about the Shire literally every five seconds. So I was like, you know, I know the basics. I, I... we, we, all know, we all know the basics. We all know Hobbiton, but I didn't really understand exactly where the Shire fits into the world as a whole. So I'm going to tell you exactly how it does. Okay. All right. The Shire, as we all know, is the homeland of the majority of hobbits in Middle Earth. It's located in the northwestern part in the northern region of Eriador. Eriador refers to a large region of about 600 miles, like from start to finish, not 600 square miles, but like 600 miles from east to west. And it sits between the Blue Mountains and the Misty Mountains. So within Eriador, the kingdom of Arnor once thrived. It was a kingdom of men founded in the Second Age by Elendil before he and his sons founded Gondor. So this is what we actually, I talked about in my last episode. Exactly. So a little bit of a reference to that for those of you who did not listen to the last episode. 
we get a little bit of that here. So by the third age, the Shire was one of the few heavily populated areas in Eriador. Basically, the rest of it is just kind of sparsely populated and it's not like no big towns or anything. Yeah. So the history of the Shire is this. It was settled by hobbits in third age 1601, which is year one in Shire Reckoning. It's a little bit confusing because they have their own timeline. That's interesting. Yeah. And he says that actually Bilbo went in the very beginning of Lord of the Rings. He's saying, you're something, 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 Shire Reckoning. And I was like, what the fuck does he mean by that? Right. They have their own time that's like separate from how everybody calculates it. So that just shows you how incredibly isolated they are. Yeah. The original settlers had migrated west over the Misty Mountains, and it's speculated that they were trying to escape the evils of Mirkwood and the trouble caused by Easterlings, which are a race of men, but they're assholes. Is that? I think some of the Black Riders were from the Easterlings. I remember possibly. That. I feel like maybe Luke said mentioned the Easterlings. That. Yeah. So I think that's also sort of fascinating. I always thought that the Hobbits were just kind of always in the Shire. Me but too. Now, evidently, they were kind of dwelling in or around Mirkwood, where, cool. where all of the spooky shit happens, right? right? Like, everything terrible happens in Mirkwood. Well, I mean, terrible stuff happens everywhere, but the spooky God, shit that happens is so in true. Mirkwood. That is so true. The hobbits were granted official permission from King Argaleb II, which I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but there it is well, anyways. I'm not going to correct you. Thank you. <laughs> so they were granted official permission from King Argaleb II to settle the Shire, which was previously unpopulated and used as his hunting grounds, which is like kind of chill of him. He's like, you know what? This is my leisure time and I love to go here and hunt, but you guys have this. You know, you what cute it, little people. You know what it reminds me of? What? In The Princess Diaries 2, when Great Mia movie. wants to turn that castle to a place for the homeless children oh yeah and it's like and they're their like winter palace yeah, they're like that's where we go for leisure and she's like well i'm d what does she say i'm i don't even remember but she's just like oh i'm d perking it it's a perk I'm right d perking it i know it's amazing what a great movie too oscar worthy the hobbits considered themselves to be subjects of the king and they even sent support troops to fight in the battles against the witch king of angmar way to go hobbits i know they're little heroes for reasons unknown, Angmar did not attack the Shire when Arnor fell, and it remained a small self-governing province of the Kingdom of Gondor, which I also didn't know that it was considered, like, part of Gondor. It seems so far away, doesn't it? It does, but the only thing that I remember is they talk about, at the end of the book, how the king of Gondor, Aragorn, Aragorn. he makes that, like, a not passable for men. Yeah. Oh, you're going to get into yeah, that. Yeah. I'm a, a little, okay. a little bit, a little bit. The peaceful reputation completely dissolves when the One Ring is discovered there by the enemy, which is where we have our whole story. I'm not going to get into that right now. But like basically up until that point, the Shire is just super chill. Everybody's having a great time. They're planning their crops. They're loving life. And then the Black Riders come and everything kind of falls apart at that point. So the geography of the Shire is a little murky at some points, but we know this much. The Brandywine River bound the Shire from the east. Buckland, it's not technically part of the Shire. What? Yeah, it's not It's not the Shire. It does become the Shire later, uh, after the War of the Ring, when Aragorn is king, he basically gifts Buckland to the Shire, and it all becomes 
Oh, I wonder the how the region. Bucklanders felt about that. I feel like they were probably kind of pissed off. Yeah, that doesn't sound lovely. Yeah. So from the north and west, the Shire had no topographical borders. It's bounded by the ancient south and east roads. Okay, there you it. go. East Shout road. out. And by vague geological features like the Tower Hills. Uh, the Tower Hills are also called Emin Berade. Hey, Cinderella. girl, you don't even need to get into that. I will get into that. Are you serious? Yes. The Tower Hills? Yeah. Okay, well, I won't say anything about it then. <laughs> I was going to give like a tiny, tiny little thing, but I'll just let you do it. Yeah. So it's bound by the Tower Hills <laughs> to be continued later. The total amount of land is about 21,400 square miles. The climate is like England. It's cool, but not terribly cold winters and pretty warm summers. Wow, shocking that Tolkien would have written about a climate similar to England. So weird, right? Doesn't make Wonder any sense. Got that idea. <laughs> as far as government and defense go in the Shire, it is divided into four farthings, which they mention quite a bit in the book. So there's the north, south, east, and west farthings. Within these are smaller divisions of land, such as Tookborough, where the Tooks are from. In most cases, a hobbit's last name indicates where their family is from. We have Mary Brandybuck, who is, of course, from Buckland. I think Baggins. There's a place called Bagland, I think, or something like that. They mention once or twice. Gamgee is from, like, Gamland. There's a ton of people with weird last names. There's like Tuxboro or something like right, that. Right, Tuxboro is, uh, is where the Tuks are from. Because the Shire is so small and unimportant, basically no one tried to conquer it. Plus the Dunedain Rangers patrolled the borders and kept out intruders, though the inhabitants grew so used to it that they forgot them altogether. That's so nice. Uh, they I just it's like, so, they're still doing it, though. It's like they get no thanks for their job. The hobbits are like, we're just safe because we're safe. And is the that Dunedain what Aragorn Ranger was doing? Yeah. I love that so much. I know. Isn't that adorable? When there was no longer a king to govern them, the hobbits elected a thane to continue authority. But it's mostly a symbolic role. And they talk about that in the book, so I'm not really going to get into it too much. It's like I a think, mayor? I, I, no, because there's the mayor of Michael Delvin. And they actually do who stuff. Who is the actual like leader okay. of the Shire. They're also the postmaster and the sheriff. So the mayor of Michael Delving is the one who actually does shit. The Thane, who's usually, I believe, the head of the Took family. They're just, just there. They're just there. Okay. It's ceremonial. Like, yes, exactly. Now, the Shire is super, super fertile land, and it's beloved by all the hobbits. The hobbits are just obsessed with their homeland. It's not like people from Ohio at all. <laughs> where if you mention that you're from Ohio and people go oh corn people are like no <laughs> no <laughs> the Shire uh, like I said very very fertile land they have an extensive agricultural system there that's basically all they do they really don't do anything resembling industrialism at all they grow cereals they grow fruit uh, they provide wood and most importantly pipeweed of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> we know the hobbits love their pipe weed. So basically, overall, the Shire is adorable and hopefully nothing terrible will happen there. Right? Oh, boy. I know. Okay. So me and Jesse were just discussing that when we start making millions of dollars on this podcast, we are going to build our own hobbit hole. 
It's only going to be like six months, right? Yeah, I know. It's going to happen instantaneously. I love that. And we're going to have it like go into a hill and have the big round door. And we're going to have to make it a little bit taller than normal. Though we're both like not extremely tall people. It'll be fine. I'm so excited. I, 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 I would live like, there with us. Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay. Definitely. I've always wanted to live in a hobbit hole. They just look so cozy. I just wish we lived in the Shire because it's so lovely there. I know. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so carefree. I mean, I kind of read ahead to know what's going to happen to the Shire and I'm kind of sad about it. I know. I know. I don't want to talk about it. All right. We'll talk about it. Nothing bad happens there. Nothing bad happens. Let's just deny it. All right. Maddie, I loved that. That was awesome. And I feel like I understand it a little bit better. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you know like how many towns are there in the Shire? I don't think there's an exact number that's listed, but there's several little... Because I know like Michael Delving is one. Right. Michael Delving is the big town. Hobbiton's like a sort of a larger town. And then there's plenty of little villages okay. scattered in and out of the Shire. That's really great. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Of course. Thank you. Are, are you ready for my discussion? Oh, I'm so ready. Okay. So my passage. Oh, I am so excited about I'm this. Really, I know. You're pumped up. I'm really I literally excited. Maddie, I, I have no idea what you're doing. I know. Maddie came over and she's like, what What topic are you doing? I'm like, I'm not telling you until we are in the midst. I know. I'm really excited. Well, we are in the midst, girl. Oh, shit. Okay. So I am evaluating Frodo's dream. Oh, fuck. I'm so excited. Okay. Oh, my God. So I'm going to read you the dream. Eventually, he fell into a vague dream in which he seemed to be looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees. Down below, among the roots, there was a sound of creatures crawling and snuffling. He felt sure they would smell him out sooner or later. Then he heard a noise in the distance. At first he thought it was a great wind coming over the leaves of the forest. Then he knew that it was not leaves, but the sound of the sea far off, a sound he had never heard in waking life though it had often troubled his dreams. Suddenly, he found he was out in the open. There were no trees after all. He was on a dark heath, and there was a strange salt smell in the air. Looking up, he saw before him a tall white tower, standing alone on a high ridge. A great desire came over him to climb the tower and see the sea. He started to struggle up the ridge toward the tower, but suddenly a light came in the sky and there was a noise of thunder. Spook. I love it. Very, very creepy. What's going on? I know. Okay. So there is no concrete information that I'm going to give you in my section. Well, there's no such thing as like a concrete dream analysis, is there? Yeah. So basically this dream analysis is by like fan theories. Oh, I'm so ready. So basically, I am summarizing a bunch of different fan theories of what this dream means. Oh, my God. I can't wait. <laughs> so great. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go step by step through the dream, each layer, and we'll discuss what the different ideas that could be. Okay. Okay. So step one is the high window overlooking a dark sea of tangled trees. So I'm interested. What do you think that means? Maybe... I don't know. It reminds me a little bit of like perhaps Isengard. Okay. Yeah. Overlooking the trees when you're in Isengard. I like it. Another of the fan theories I saw from uh, somebody on the newboards.theonering.net or their name were Dream Deer. 
They said possibly it was a tower in the tower in Mirkwood, the home to the necromancer, Dolgador, overlooking the forest. Oh. Because we're talking about how spooky it is. Yeah. And it does kind of seem that way. Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. Freaky place. Somebody also said it kind of reminds them of the platforms in Lothlorien where they stay on okay. in the forest. And you, they always talk about like the sounds of the animals and the creatures that are below. Um, but my favorite theory... I think you're going to love this one, too. Okay. This was by somebody on that same newboards.theonering.net. Their, the author's name was Curious. And they said that possibly it was when they're staying at Tom Bombadil's house because they're up on a hill overlooking the old forest. And they're staying in the second story. And they talk about them looking out the window and seeing this, the forest. Wow. And so maybe it's, uh, you know, a, a very immediate prophecy. Yeah. And it's them looking from the room down into the forest. Very interesting. I think I like that one the best. I know. That was my favorite, too. Okay. So step two was in the trees, we hear creatures crawling and snuffling, like smelling around. And it said something like, they we think they're going to smell them out. So obviously, the first thought is like Black Riders. Black Riders, Right. And so most of the fan theories were, yeah, this is Black Riders. But... The same person, that curious person who had said the Tom Bombadil chapter, they pointed out that Tom Bombadil specifically says he'd know nightly noises while they're staying there. Mm. And so that kind of leads into this is he's like, calm your shit. I got you. You're safe here. (laughs) And so that's really nice. And that they're safe from their enemies and from the Black Riders there. So it's not as much of a scary dream as it is referencing well it's it's like it's scary until he realizes oh look i'm safe here until things are revealed yeah so that's that's one and two okay so step three is he hears the sea though it often troubled his dreams and he's not actually seeing the ocean in real life and i'm going to get into this in the next section but i just wanted to repeat that so you'd be thinking about it okay Step four is the big one. They change locations and he's standing on a dark heath, which is like a scrubland high ground. So picture England. Right. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) he is looking at a tall white tower standing alone on a high ridge and he can smell sea salt in the air. So a lot of the fan theories have thought that this is the Tower Hills, which is what you were talking about, which is nearby the Shire. Right. And also goes all the way to the Grey Havens, which is at the sea. So it's, yeah, right east of the Grey Havens, Mm -hmm. actually. And so, yes, it borders the ocean. And the tallest tower is called Elosterion. And it actually holds a palantir. Oh. Yeah, which is a seeing stone. There were seven of them total. And they were created for communication through Middle Earth. So you could, like, talk to each other instead of using telephones. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I know. The original cell phone. But unfortunately, then Sauron got one. Yeah. And then they became like creepy because then he could like communicate with you and communicate back. And so then they became not so good anymore. And a lot of them got destroyed or lost. But the original ones, they was like used for communication and they could even communicate back to the Valar. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. The elves uh, that were with Gilder, you're going to love this. Okay. Okay. The last chapter, remember, they were traveling yeah. and they ran into the high elves who were traveling with their main guy was Gildor. Well, they were just at that tower visiting the Palantir. No fucking way. They were. And they were trying to talk to Elbereth. <gasps> yeah. Baby. I know. Ah. Oh my God. So, I just love, I, I'm so sorry. Can I just like take one second? I yes. love 
everything is interconnected. I know. Everything Maddie is. Maddie did Breath in the last episode. You should definitely listen to it. It's super good. I, I just, I, I love that so much. It's amazing because it's so, everything is so complicated and it seems so out there and sometimes it seems like things aren't connected but they always are they, they are always are and so that and that's so cute so the elves were coming back from looking at the plantier trying to talk to elbereth and on their way back they met up with sam and pippin and frodo and that's where they had their little gathering and they were heading back to rivendell because that's where they're from oh my god i know and oh I, what I can't God. understand is why they weren't like, hey, come with us to Rivendell. They're like, fuck you. We're going our own way. Yeah. They like literally left without <laughs> saying goodbye in the morning, like a fucking one night stand. I know. <laughs> okay. So a little bit more about these Tower Hills. They were built in Second Age 600 and they were built by Gilgalad. For those of you that don't know, Gilgalad was the last high king of the Noldor, which is located in Beleriand. You did it! I said it right. He was the elf king who passed regency to Elrond. Oh, okay. He died in the battle of the last alliance of elves and men by Sauron's hand. That was the big battle at the very beginning of the movie. With Elendil. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So Gilgalad, as a gift for the surviving Numenorians from the downfall of Numenor, do you yeah. know? We'll talk more about this when we get to the right. Aragorn stuff. But basically, Numenor got attacked and had downfall, and there was a, only a few surviving members, and they sailed to Middle Earth, and that's when uh, Lendil, who is the Numenorian met up with Gilgalad and they got to be best friends. And Aww. so he built these white towers for as his a gift bestie. For yeah, as a gift for him. That's adorable. I know. So they're really, really lovely. They overlook the sea. There's three of them. They're white. They're built by the elves for Elendil. And that's that's the white towers that we're speculating that he's talking about in this section. Amazing. I know. So there's many allusions to a passage in the prologue for Lord of the Rings that's on page seven from our book. And I'm going to read the passage. Okay. So get this. So you listen to the dream. Now listen to how close this sounds. Okay. Three elf towers of immemorial age were still to be seen on the tower hills beyond the western marches. They shone far off in the moonlight. The tallest was furthest away, standing alone on a green mound. The hobbits of the West Farthing said that one could see the sea from the top of that tower, but no hobbit has ever been known to climb it. And as the days of the Shire lengthened, they spoke less and less with the elves and grew afraid of them and distrustful of those that had dealings with them. And the sea became a word of fear among them and a token of death. There's a few things that really relate to this dream. The okay. first one is the tallest tower standing alone on a green mound. Right. Definitely fits right Literally, with. it's exactly the same thing. The second thing is they talk about seeing the sea from the tower. Right. And that specifically is talked about that. In the dream, they say he wants to climb up to the tallest tower to be able to see the sea. Right. There you go. The third one is they say no hobbit has ever climbed it. And in the thing, in the dream, he specifically says he has this urge to climb the tower. Oh, my God. And then the fourth thing is he says the sea has become a word of fear among them and he literally says i have this fear of the sea but he doesn't really fully understand it right. though he's just afraid because he's afraid which i mean it i would have never found that so i actually found this allusion to the passage from tolkien's ring.proboards.com there was an author named Anne Dorina 
they're the one who pointed out the connection. And I just thought it was brilliant because once you're reading it and you just read the dream and you just read this passage, yeah, they just go it, hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it fits so perfectly. I know. So I have to believe that that's what the White Towers is that he's talking about. Uh, I, re- I really think it is. I think, you know, obviously it's all guesswork, but I think that one's pretty pretty clear yeah and then the dream ends with a bright light coming from the sky and a sound of thunder what i love is there's somebody else his name was pez from the one ring forum Mm -hmm. and he took a totally different meaning from this dream and i'm just going to read you his exact quote because i i don't want to summarize it it's really good okay it seems to me that it warns that the journey ahead of him would tempt him to a sinister elevation to an effect become a new dark lord though he would not find safety in such a position But listening to the call of the sea can ultimately save him, turning his focus back to the West. He will have to get his feet back on the ground again in order to seek a different, better elevation. But he must survive a storm first. Oh. Isn't that nice? Yes. So I really love that. Like, you can take this dream and go step by step and it totally makes sense if you... Well, it doesn't. No, it doesn't totally make sense. It makes sense in whatever but way you, you come can, up with yeah, it. Yeah, you can piece it together a yeah. little bit, though. Or you can look at it big picture. And I just thought it was so brilliant. And I just loved hearing everybody's different opinions of what these could mean. And I had a lot of fun researching this. Great job. Thank you. Great job. Oh, I loved that. That was so different. We haven't done dream interpretation here yet we have not and we <laughs> and normally we follow very much to what tolkien specifically wrote and this really wasn't no you were you were venturing into the realm of guesswork yeah it felt good though i absolutely loved that yay all right my quotation from this section is from chapter five a conspiracy unmasked and this is the part where frodo's telling them about his you know, how he has to go away on this journey. And they're all like, Frodo, we knew what the fuck was going on. Oh, did you go with a sassy one? It's a little sassy. Oh, I'm it's so a little excited. sassy. Changing it up. Frodo opened his mouth and shut it again. His look of surprise was so comical that they laughed. Dear old Frodo, said Pippin, did you really think you had thrown dust in all our eyes? You have not been nearly careful or clever enough for that. You've obviously been planning to go and saying farewell to all your haunts all this year since April. We've constantly heard you muttering, shall I ever look into that valley again, I wonder, and things like that, and pretending that you had come to the end of your money and actually selling your beloved bag end to those Sackville Bagginses and all those close talks with Gandalf. <laughs> I, the reason that I love that section is, first of all, Pippin's just like, come on, Frodo. But I love him referencing Frodo, like, going around all his places and being like, am I ever going to see this place again? I can picture oh. him, like, petting the tree he's, bark. Yeah, he's literally like, just, like, going around sighing wistfully everywhere and thinking, like, wow, I'm being so clever and nobody knows what's going on. And he's know, being so obvious. You know, it's kind of like Yuna in Final Fantasy X. Oh, my God. How she <laughs> She goes around and she's sighing and looking at it everything twice because she's realizing she's never going to see it again. And Titus is like, get the fuck. Let's go. Let's, like, let's go. Let's go to Xanarkand. <laughs> I want my journey to be full of laughter. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> Me and Maddie love Final Fantasy X. Like too much. We've played it. What do you think? Maybe a dozen times? Yeah, together. Together. We love it. We, we adore that game. <laughs> and we also make fun of it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay, I have to say I'm really shocked because I thought that you were going to read the passage where they are drinking that lovely elf juice and they get all drunk. 
I thought about doing that one, but I saw that one and I was like, nah. I that gotta seems do. so up your alley. I know, I know. But I, I like that I you do. went with something a little different today. Yeah, I try and switch that it up nice. a little well, bit. Well, I didn't switch it up. I went full sass. Oh, good. Okay. To be expected. So this is where Farmer Maggot is dropping them off at the ferry and he's just about to say goodbye. He backed the wagon into the lane and turned it. Well, good night to you all, he said. It's been a queer day and no mistake, but all's well as ends well. Though perhaps we should not say that again until we reach our own doors. I'll not deny that I'll be glad now when I do. He lit his lanterns and got up. Suddenly, he produced a large basket from under the seat. I was nearly forgetting, he said. Mrs. Maggot put this up for you, Mr. Baggins, with her compliments. He handed it down and moved off, followed by a chorus of thanks and good nights. They watched the pale rings of light round his lanterns as they dwindled into the foggy night. Suddenly, Frodo laughed. From the covered basket he held, the scent of mushrooms was rising. Oh. <laughs> and so that's obviously in connection to the fact that he used to steal mushrooms from Farmer Maggot's gardens. And Farmer Maggot's like, I know that you were doing that all along. It's so <laughs> cute because it's like very good humored sass. It is. And it's good humored sass. Oh. I love that. I fucking love hobbits. They're, They're the so best. good. I also love they have this whole section where they talk about how much hobbits love mushrooms. They talk about how they love them more than any man ever could. It's I know. <laughs> They're obsessed with them. I also love mushrooms. I love mushrooms too. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? But, but, but hobbits a- love them more. They do. I can't even take credit. They definitely yeah. love them more. Yeah. I just imagine that like the person who loves mushrooms the most in this world does not even love them as much as a hobbit could. And... Let's not try to take we don't that, have to away, take from that away from they them. They have that. They, they have very little. We can let them have that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sisterhood of the Rings. Join us next week for another always unexpected journey into all things Tolkien. If you like what we do, please subscribe and please review us. If you hate what we do, please leave us alone and turn your rage into a productive hobby. Like macrame. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please check out our Facebook page, The Sisterhood of the Rings Podcast. See See you next time, you gorgeous nerds. nerds.